Mike, how are you doing? Good, thanks, Richard. How are you? Very well, thanks, mate. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the 13th episode of The Six Sessions. Lucky number 13, Mike. Each week, I've been lucky enough to chat with someone in the growth space across marketing, sales, and CX. Today's guest is coming from an industry that is close to my heart, and he's going to talk to us about content-driven growth. If you're involved in marketing north of the border, you'll know today's guest, marketer, speaker, and all-round all round content maker. I've not even had a dram yet, and I'm already slurring. Um, these chats are designed to be short and sweet, but hopefully full of insight. But let's be honest, I'm yet to make any of them short, so you have to forgive me that. But also, you're not paying for it, so you get what you're given. And just a friendly reminder, it's definitely unfiltered, and that's what makes it fun for me. Today's guest started working in social media way back in 2007, which is way back before the algorithms determine the way that we see the world and who wins elections and referendums, but we probably won't get into that. And that's not how I want to end my Friday. Um, a content market of the highest order, he's worked agency side, brand side, and even grown two small businesses of his own. But in my humble opinion, he's now reached the pinnacle of his career. He's head of content at Weems Family Spirits, not only can I attest to the fact that they produce great whiskey, but they are rapidly expanding globally, and that's driven through content. So today, my first and second loves, whisketing and, uh, whiskey and marketing, are coming together to round off this week perfectly. Joining us all the way from South Queen's Ferry in Scotland, which is actually not too far from Edinburgh, for those of you who don't know the, the local, and I, had, I did have to look it up on Google Maps, I'll be honest. It's my absolute pleasure to close out this week with Mike McGraw. Mike, welcome. Hi, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Good, nice intro there. Um, yeah, good to be here. Well, it's a uh, pleasure having you come on. We were saying just before we started this, we've been connected for, what, nine years on uh, on Twitter now and never actually had a, a real-life conversation. So it's nice to, well, not even meet you in the flesh, but uh, on a <laughs> voice chat now, I guess. Um, well, it's good that it gets meeting new people at the moment, doesn't it? So. No. So first question I have to ask, you started playing with social back in 2007, which makes you like proper OG. So which platform did you start with? So back then I was running with a very good friend of mine, Gav. We were running live music events as a kind of side hustle as opposed to our nine to fives. And we were selling, you know, 80% of the tickets for these gigs through that platform. Now there was no actual facility to do that but every time someone came to the door to one of the nights we said how do you hear about it? it's all myspace 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 and that just kind of opened up my mind to it and i'd um i'd graduated from uni with a degree in marketing at that time but i wasn't 100 percent sure what i wanted to do and then in a way i ended up working in a really small digital agency and my job was seo and ppc i mean the seo side of things was writing meta descriptions and doing a lot of stuff that you would never get away with now but that worked an absolute treat uh before google really clamped down on the black hat stuff and then a lot of adwords stuff and then i really started to think well social media is definitely becoming a thing i'd seen a bit of success in a small way from it and started getting clients of the agency to agree to go on to Bebo. <laughs> so we had a chain of uh, nightclubs across uh, Scotland who I had on Bebo, but that was a bit disastrous because they just started posting really bad photos of people in all sorts of states across the board, uh, which is a bad move. Um, but the first success was I got a chain of chemists up here, you know, like pharmacies, to start creating tutorials on things like how to use hair straighteners that they sold, 
um, how to do makeup and worked really well and they started loving it. So that was really my first kind of exposure to using social as, as a real marketing tool. And then Twitter as well, I joined it personally in a way and I connected to a lot of people in the States, marketers who were sort of streets ahead in their thinking and uh, started getting clients on Twitter as well. So yeah, you're kind of right. I was there pretty much at the beginning of, of, of it all. And then everything else that's happened since has been a pretty crazy journey in the social media world. So so 14, 14 years into social now, which has been your favorite platform? Because there must have been a fair few you've seen come and go. So which is the favorite over that period? Um, Twitter is, is more than a social media platform to me because, to be honest, Twitter has allowed me to do a lot of things I've done in my career. Um, I, I wrote a blog back then called the Social Penguin blog, and we had a big readership coming from a, across the world. And again, it was just a kind of site project, but that was a big thing on Twitter. Um, and I just increasingly got a strong following there. People started to like looking for my opinions on social media marketing. So it's just been a kind of constant thing that's been with me throughout. And, you know, we first spoke there and it's really made me have great relationships with marketers and beyond that everywhere. So that's great. Um, and then in, in more recent years, I guess, Instagram is just a real love of mine. I just love the visual aspect of it. Um, I'm just hoping that it doesn't go down this route of just really far too ads driven, which some would say it already is, uh, and just becoming a horrible little, like Facebook's little brother type thing, you know? But yeah, Twitter and Instagram are still big parts. Um, whereas I barely look at Facebook now, apart from logging into ad accounts, I just can't hack it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've got a couple of like business groups that people kind of force me to use Facebook, which I find a pain in the ass, but it's the only thing I use on Facebook anymore. Um, and sometimes Messenger, but only if people contact me. It's never like my go-to channel. Um, no. And like, Conversely, which is your least favorite? Uh, probably Facebook, to be honest. I've just so fallen out of love with it so much. Yeah. Um, it, it all started when you were getting people constantly inviting you to play like pharma yard oh, you know, <laughs> sort of thing. And then I just find Facebook amongst, it seems to be the place where people go to just moan. Uh, and that's that's not cool, especially at the moment. We don't need to be surrounded by negativity. I do have to give a shout out to LinkedIn. Actually, I do really, really like LinkedIn. And when I was running my own businesses, in fact, even getting into this role, it, it, it's played a key part in in my personal success as well. Um, but I can see it going bad as well. And I, yeah, it's just they never seem to get these things right for long enough but it's always this need to just make as much money as possible starts really affecting their kind of original missions i uh do you know what i think marketers are in part to blame for that not only are we trying to like push things to get the most kind of return out of them we take strategies that we learn on 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 facebook and then it tries to be mapped across channels like linkedin so ultimately the channel starts to adapt to the processes that are driving through it and it all becomes a bit of a mess um, I think I, I can't even count how many platforms we've got stories and that kind of crap on it now. So. Yeah, just rinse and repeat, you know, Snapchat really nailed the stories thing and then Instagram went, well, we'll have a bit of that because, you know, and, you know, the, the Facebook, the, that whole group tried to buy Snapchat and I think they went, well, if you're not going to sell, 
were just ruined you. And Snapchat still got a really loyal base and a certain demographic, but you really don't hear that much about it. So how's how's twenty twenty one started for you? How's it been so far? It's been great. We, at, at Weems, we're in a big planning phase for the next financial year. So that involves, you know, budgeting, but also really looking at what we want to achieve this year in terms of our product launches, our campaigns, our marketing, our, our sales. You know, we are, um, we're an e-commerce business second secondary, to be honest. Um, the pandemic changed that to a certain degree. But we have a, a big sales operation and a big part of my team's role is to support them as well. So we sell a lot of our um, products through the on and off trades. So it's not all about digital as such. There's a huge thing in the spirits industry, a term called liquor to lips. So unless we can get our stuff into people's um the mouths, that sounds a bit brutal to be honest, but unless people try it, they're unlikely to necessarily buy it just off the back of some uh, online interaction. However, we're seeing great success there. So we have to be mindful that it's not just all that kind of uh, business to, to consumer stuff. Um, so yeah, we, we've got a lot to cover. We've got a lot of territories to cover. So it's been big planning, but so excited. And we're already starting to put out some nice stuff. Uh, so yes, it's been a, a really solid start. So, like, tell tell me about Weems. So, like, like being brutally honest, until you joined them, and I kind of saw the social updates of you joining them and started seeing some of the content, it wasn't a whiskey brand that I had much awareness of. Um, and like, I wouldn't. I'm not a whiskey aficionado. I like whiskey. I like I have certain whiskeys that I enjoy, but I've never never really kind of dug into Weems. So, like, tell me about Weems. Yeah, I mean, I think that's. Um, Whiskey and spirits world can, it's, it's fair to say, is dominated by a number of giant players. And, you know, if you say Whiskey Day Sunday, people might say Johnny Walker, Highland Park, um, you know, White Mackay, whatever it may be. Uh, but then you've got this whole other layer of, of smaller producers who create great products and try to do things a little bit differently. And certainly Weems Family Spirits does that. So we've got three brands under our belt. We've got um, King's Barnes Distillery, which is the bottle as you can see here on the top, um, which was established in 2014 in Fife. So it's a very young distillery, but we're already producing gold medal award-winning award um, whiskies. The, the start has been phenomenal there. Um, and then there's Wean Spirits who produce um, a, a series of single malt blends, but also single casks. And... This is an example of one of them. So we relaunched the core range, and this is one of the ones that you bought last year in these really stunning decanter-style bottles, really bold label. So we're 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 really excited and proud of these, and they're starting to make a mark and really getting uh, getting noticed on the marketplace. Although they launched during the pandemic, so it's been an interesting journey on that one. And then we've got a gin brand called Darnley's, which is actually uh, will be 11 years old this year. So it was around before the big gin bubble uh, and it's a fantastic spirit. So they're the three key brands in our umbrella. The company's run by Isabel and William Weems. It is a family business. And we're a fairly small team, I think it's fair to say, around 30 to 40 full-time employees. Um, but we are global and we're growing very much in, in that way. So I, I've just someone's just joined my team in Singapore as we look to push further into Asia. 
uh, and I'm actually growing a really great small team at the moment since I joined. So we've got big ambitions and, you know, we're, we're well known in certain circles, but we want to push that further out. So I've, I've seen videos of you climbing, climbing rocks and traversing cliff edges, and I think even getting stuck out on a rock. Um, so, and, and all of it with whiskey bottle in hand, what, what is your actual role at Weems? Yeah, so I should have said that. That was, that was yesterday. I was um, scouting a location, and it's a very difficult location to find. This this amazing rock on the coast, um, and I found it, but then I got stranded by water. And I just want to say, please take things like tides very seriously, people. Um, I wasn't in any real danger. I just might have had to end up getting wet, but I had to end up climbing. Blah blah blah. But yeah, take these things seriously. I feel like my video uh, maybe uh, hasn't hasn't had the best uh, message from that point of view. Um, I'm, I'm head of content, which um, means that across the three brands, I very much oversee and drive the content strategy. And I, I work with my team of social media marketers and creatives, and also the brand managers of the, the different brands, and then the sales team, and even the production team, because everything has to be in line. And we all have shared objectives, my team will have things we want to go and do but ultimately the, the output is creating visual content um photos videos and then we're pushing more into the written word this year that sounds like we're almost going back the way but it's not something that the business has regularly done in terms of blog posts and articles but we really want to push that further and we've had huge success in uh, 2020 from email marketing so we're really making sure that we're joined together across a lot of the digital digital areas. Um, but we do have this thing, like I mentioned earlier, where a lot of our business comes from bricks and mortar. So we need to work out how to make those two things, the digital world and the real tangible world, I suppose, work together. Um, yeah, and that's my role. It's, it is strategic, but I also do a lot of production. So I'll be out with crews directing shoots. And then I took some shots myself yesterday while I was getting stuck in the middle of the sea. And um, yeah, it's a brilliant role to be honest. It's so varied, and yeah, I'm just I'm really chuffed to be in it. So how does how does that process work, right? So like the um, distillery produces a new, uh, or like you just said, you've just rebranded the the core range. So yeah. how how does that work? Do they come to you and say, "Here's what we branded. Here's here's the branding. Here's the name. Here's the target market." How are you going to get this in front of people? Or are you part of that earlier stage, like that that positioning piece be before you start to talk about how you put that in front of people? Yeah, so the, the new product development, MPD as we call it, tends to start kind of at the core of that, the people that actually make our whiskey. But what we make is informed by the market and the, the consumer. Um, so we know what we want to make in order to, to make a product that, that people want. That, that being said, with if you take King's Barnes, for example, it's very, very young to be putting whiskey out. Um, and that raises a few eyebrows because there's a, this complete kind of myth in the whiskey industry that young whiskey can't be good whiskey. And it's, it's not true. It's just absolutely not true. Um, so King's Barnes is in a lovely position where it's kind of a new kid on the block and we can be a little bit experimental with it. Um, but what, the, the the thing that will increasingly be happening is that we're, we're very data-led and that's certainly been ramped up in the last year or so. 
Um, so we are getting a very clear picture now of who our audiences are and who our customers are, you know, who's actually buying our products. Yeah. And that data and that insight will be getting plumbed into the, these new product development stages at, at an early stage for sure. There's also a thing with, um, with Weems malts. So they're blended malts. They're blended single malts. So we don't actually produce the whiskey for those. We take casks from other uh, distilleries and then put those together and mature them in different ways in different casks for different lengths of time to produce a flavor that we are looking to put out on the market. So this one is a Spice King, and that's all about that kind of spicy flavor. Peat chimneys, smoky. We've got the Hive, which is, is sweeter, sort of lighter, a great introduction to, to whiskey, to be honest. So um, we're pushing the flavor aspects of those, and each brand has its own kind of way of speaking, its own dialogue, and each, you know, each each product has its own kind of merits. So yeah, we we are as we're driven by what we can make, and then we want to be able to have an input into what potentially should be made based on what we're seeing out there. From data. So how, how did you you personally get into content marketing in the first place? Um, I feel like I've always really been involved in it because to me, the, without content, there's not really marketing as such. So even having been involved in social media for so long, I regard a tweet as a piece of content that can be part of a marketing strategy. Then you've got video, written words, you know, the, the whole kind of shooting match. Um, I think being a blogger from an early stage as well made me see the value of that. And then... It's, it's kind of moved along over the years with me. So social, then blogging, then photography, then, then video. And it just became an area that I really wanted to sort in on. Um, and then I launched my consultancy in, in 2012 after um, a few years in agencies. And I very much decided I'm going down the content marketing route with that consultancy. So, yeah. Um, and I just feel like it's a, it's a really exciting area to work in. Uh, particularly the visual aspects of it. Um, but yeah, and then something I'm always keen to impress on people is that content has a place right throughout the marketing funnel. So regardless of what funnel you you, you, you use these days, you know, it's changed so much. Um, it can obviously play a key part in the awareness phase of a, a marketing funnel. Um, quite often a video or an Instagram post or something may be the the, the audience's first interaction with your brand. But sometimes the tendency can be just to think that content's done its job at that part. You know, if we popped people in the top of the funnel, then we want to move them through with, with, with content. So, you know, if you're a B2B brand, a SaaS brand, that's when you start to see things like um, demos coming in or comparisons with other products and testimonials and, you know, all this stuff. Um, but content should keep play a key part right through the funnel, regardless if you're a consumer brand, a B2B brand. The lines are so blurred between all that anyway nowadays. Um, and then retention as well. I think content is so, so um, vital for retaining customers. We all know that it's far, far cheaper to retain customers than buy new ones, right? So um, great content can, can retain a customer. And particularly if, if you take whiskey, so our whiskies, um, they're premium products, so they're not, you know, they're not they're not the cheapest of, of whiskies or gins out there. Um, we might have people that buy from us two to three times a year. So in those gaps, we need to keep them engaged and content 
plays a key part in that. Another another way to, I used to be marketing director in a tech startup, and I always go back to that for a lot of the kind of experiences that I got there. So um, that was a high ticket item that we were selling. It was really expensive software, and you buy it once and then that's it. But we used to create a lot of content to make sure that people got the best out of that product, and it became that magical word of sticky, where effectively they just their businesses can't live without it. So. Yeah, um, totally off on a tangent there. I can't remember the original. It's, it's perfect, but my, my main question, so you're, you're talking about like a, a content funnel, right? So like the attract, convert, delight type stuff. Yeah. How does that map over a whiskey brand? Like I, I get the attraction bit. Like I, I like you can immediately go, okay, best top 10 whiskeys or like the best cheeses to eat with whiskey. Like that content kind of writes itself. But how do you then, like what's the content that fits in those lower parts of the funnel for a whiskey brand? Yeah, that, that is a really great question and one that we're working quite hard on just now. Um, and it definitely, we definitely live more in the, in the, the higher parts of the funnel. Um, we're, a lot of that decision-making part will come down to our remarketing activity. So we know what products people have been looking at and we start to, to work that through Facebook and uh, Instagram. Um, but a key aim of ours is always to get people into our email funnel. And that's where we can start to get really smart. And when people are opening emails and reading content about the Spice King or watching some of our videos and uh, you know whatever it may be, spending a lot of time on those pages, then we'll start to really push them towards that purchase. Um, now, we don't discount. It's just not a thing we do. Um, however, we do have some incentives for signing up for the email list in the first place, you get free postage and things like that. So that bottom part, that decision thing, because albeit we're not the cheapest of whiskeys or gins out there, um, it's not the same as making the decision to take a big subscription to a piece of software or you know make a big purchase. So that's it, it's really just giving people the big insight into what this whiskey is all about. Um, but we're finding increasingly effective as bringing people to the front of it, the process, the people that are behind it. And the consumer at that point starts to get really bought into you beyond the bottle, beyond what's in the bottle. And they think, you know what, I want to be a part of that kind of journey. And that's that's kind of what we're working towards. But I think the I do feel like even though content does live throughout every funnel, I think that the higher up in the funnel with the brands like ours, the more success you're going to see. So you've done agency, brand side, you've run your own small businesses. Which role did you learn the most in? Like this, this is one of those things, I, like when I look back at my career, like not that I'm that old thing, like kind of looking back, but like when I look back at like the stuff that I've done, I've got like key parts where I'm like, shit, I really learned a lot in that role. Or like even I've moved on from that role because I wasn't learning anymore. Like you've, you've done the kind of the marketing mix in terms of like the types of businesses you are part of. Where do you reckon you've learned the most? Wow, yeah, I mean, I'm always learning. I think we all are. Um, you know, I ran two businesses um, and had clients, you know, both service businesses, had clients on the scale of, you know, Skyscanner, big, big spirits brands, down to local kind of startups. And the biggest thing I learned through all that was how to really tune into what different businesses of different sizes at different stages need. Um, and a huge amount of that comes down to actually 
listening, but really trying to live their business for a while. So I was always keen to spend some time actually working in a business or spending as much time across departments as I could. So I think the the running the small businesses has really given me experience and knowledge in, in dealing with different problems of different sizes at different times. I think that problem solving has really helped within there. Um, and then, you know, when I worked in, you know, I worked as a year for a, a SaaS, a big a company up in Edinburgh called Administrate. I was a marketing director there. And that was a big insight into the numbers that, that, you know, all these metrics and the numbers and how much it takes to actually ensure that at the end of a cycle that you're actually sitting in a good place. And that was pretty mind blowing because it was just a real um, education and rigorous data that I hadn't really had before beyond sort of social media stuff, click throughs and all that. It was, it was insane. And um, so I always refer back to things I learned in that role. Um, There's nothing sexier in marketing than data. Yeah, yeah. And it's vital, but it can also blind you. I think you can get absolute analysis paralysis. And in my team, we've got this kind of mantra at the moment where we're data-led, but we don't, we, we don't ignore intuition. Sometimes you just know if something's going to be right or you get a good feeling about it. And I think you've got to have the kind of um, balls, so to speak, for want of a better term, to kind of go for that and give it a go and not be scared to try things out. But, yeah, and I'm already, I mean, in this role, I've learned so much about how the the whiskey, the spirits industry, the trade within it works. Prior to this, I've had a lot of spirits spirits clients um but i was always on the outside of it just supplying them with what they needed for a tiny little part of it but that insight into this industry has made, made me love it even more to be honest and yeah always learn always learn so what what does good content marketing look like in 21 i think based on 2020 um an absolute hellish year for a lot of us in many ways um good content has to be more empathetic, more people-led uh, than ever. It has to be relatable and even less salesy than ever. Um, I think there's always a balance of we can't just create lots of content and do a great job on social media and not have a tangible output of that, i.e. sales or inquiries or leads or whatever it may be. Um, but I think we now have to be very, very careful at what that blend is and how those sales messages come across. Having said that, the world's going to open up again this year, you know, towards the end of the year and then certainly into 2022. And people are sitting on money that hasn't been spent on other things and a desire just to fully live their lives again. So I think as marketers, we're all looking at that and going, whoa, we could get a big slice of that. And that's just, you know, real business head on there but there's there's opportunities for every business to capitalize on that but i I do think that we we just have to be as much about people and relationships as we can uh and like i've said we've seen quite significant success by going behind the scenes of the business um and that will that will definitely be a key part of our strategy this year what's the best bit of content marketing you've seen recently I find it really hard to move away from bur- 
Burger King, like they, they're just sort of. <laughs> do, you, do you mean physically or? Yeah, no, there is one up the road that I have been managing to resist it, but um, yeah, definitely McDonald's, man. Um, but the yeah, everything that Burger King's done in the last couple of years has just been sensational, and I love like their use of technology has been great. There was the whole when you're in the vicinity of a McDonald's restaurant in the states, you were getting. You could go to a McDonald's restaurant and order a Whopper, and if you did that, you know, it was just brilliant, and they've just got the tone of everything right. And then actually during the pandemic, they were doing a lot to help out independent uh, takeaways and things like that. So I think they've just nailed it. I'm sure they're working with a great, very expensive agency. Um, but something I really like is their their head of marketing is very kind of out there and vocal on Twitter as well, so they're quite approachable from that point of view. Um, yeah, I think I think that's that's. I really, I really like the way that they have that kind of guerrilla marketing feel to a lot of the stuff that they do, but it's done from like a a corporate brand perspective. Like they they walk that line incredibly well, and you can tell that they're doing a good job because they've managed to drag a lot of other brands into that realm with them. So where they've like they've personified their brand and it has its own persona a lot of other brands have naturally had to come with them. I, I can't remember who, like whatever they did a couple of weeks ago and it just sparked off all of those different conversations with all of the brands. It was just brilliant. Yeah. So like, it's a good, good example. Where do you think content doesn't work? Um, I, yeah, that's a, that question's a, a tricky one. Um, I think that it comes, I think if you are, a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? If you're a commodity product, if you're something that people just need, um, then I think it's hard to get excited about how you can create content that's really going to hit the mark there. So like we all buy toothpaste, so I hope so anyway. And um, I, I, I couldn't care less about marketing around toothpaste. It's completely and utterly driven by what's on the supermarket shelf for probably the best price so I think when you're a commodity product or brand, it can be really hard to get success from, from content. However, there's an opportunity there because if you could all of a sudden be a commodity brand that's full of personality and full of kind of that that kind of bravery, the sort of stuff that we see from from Burger King, albeit in quite a measured way, then I think there's a there's a chance there. But I find it a hard question to answer because I I don't see really where content doesn't work as part of a, a strategy and I, I i totally agree with you and i think there's there's some great examples of where you would go no like all they need in terms of content is like the meta description on their e-commerce page and that's all they they need but then if you look yes. at things like um i haven't seen them do one in a while but like will it blend like uh, just this dude putting putting like expensive gadgets in his blender to promote the power of his blender. Yeah, yeah. Who who would think of something like that? And like, um, do you remember the campaign poopery, uh, poopery of like the poopery or whatever it was? Like stuff like that. There, these are uh, like products that nobody would ever bat an eye to, and they've just created this content model around them. But like, I I totally agree with you. There are it's very rare where I'd say actually content doesn't doesn't fit for this because I was thinking when you were saying like products that are a commodity and like you need them. I was like, even toilet paper, like the content around that, like the Andrex puppy is probably one of the most recognized like yeah. animals on TV and that, that kind of stuff, it's all content driven. Anyway, I'm kind of coming over the top of it. So what excites you most about content marketing and growth right now? 
I'm loving, uh, it's an interesting one because um, having worked in social for so long, I've seen so many platforms like come and go and everybody gets hyped up about. And that's one thing I'm always saying is don't don't feel the pressure to jump on something. I'm loving, I am loving this rise of audio that we've seen during the pandemic. I think, you know, podcasts have gone insane, almost saturated, which has taken a long time to get to that point in time. Um, but Clubhouse is this one that everyone's talking just now, and I'm starting to think how can we how can we work with that? So I think audio is something that you know radio's been around forever, but we're seeing it's just becoming. And I, I've got a kind of small theory around that is that people are pretty fed up of being seen all the time, or having to be you know at least visualised in some way in social. So I think this audio thing is great. Um, I do I do feel that content marketing in general is definitely getting more data led as well and i do i do feel like that's a good good place as long as it doesn't kill creativity and that ability to take a chance so i'm really watching how that's progressing over the next the next wee while and how are you planning to grow weems in 2021 weems in 2021 will be very much looking um a lot more content to be honest we need to ramp up the content creation for the right reasons and like i've said we're very much going to be making people a key part of that um but not just our people actually people who are fans and drinkers of of our brands we want to start bringing them to light as well we're, we're starting to feature some of we're so lucky that a lot of people take fantastic photos of our products and, and put them out there so we're going to start featuring other people's work a lot more I think people can get really tired and bored of it's just a brand voice all the time. Yeah. So we're looking to start adding in a bit more of that. Um, There's something quite um, captivating as well, though, when a brand is promoting the use of like UGC, that like it it entices you to want to be part of that. I remember like Fever Tree was quite good at doing that, like promoting people who were taking photos of them drinking um, in different uh, places. And I think that's yeah. that. I love UGC because it gives you like some real insight into the world that surrounds the brand, not just the brand's point of view. Absolutely. And you can, you can learn a lot from it as well in terms of, you know, how are, for us, how are people drinking our drinks or what, what part does it play in someone's life? Um, we've got a big campaign coming up uh, that, that really looks at um, the part that our products can play in, in people's lives. Uh, Cause Spirits brands and, and alcohol brands, it's about far more than, than the actual drinking. There's quite often a lot of significant things in your life that can that are that, that alcohol can play a part in. Um, and a positive part, I think, is the, the key the key word there, key term there. But yeah, I think um we're we're very much driven by by people and it's such a cliche, but when people are interacting with us or when people are watching our content, I want there to be some sort of emotion being generated. And that doesn't mean, oh, they're in, in tears because we made something really sad. It's, we want them to feel happy, excited, adventurous. And yeah, we might tug at heartstrings from time to time, but that's that's where we want to go. Um, and not, not we, you have to show your products in order for people to want them but we will be creating content this year that that is a very underlying thing and yeah. um, loads of plans for a lot of content that barely touches on the products but has a 
place and makes sense in the in the wider scheme of things. Last question, which I think is actually a, a, a good point to actually just kind of relax and have a little bit of whiskey, which <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you invited me to do that on a Friday afternoon as you're the only guest that's so far invited me to have a drink. So cheers. Yeah. Um, so final question is what's next in growth? Where should people be focusing their efforts? Um, I do think, you know, we've, we've kind of gone over it, but it, it has to be just more human. Get get more human in everything you do. Um, and th there's, always a, there's always an issue, I think, where you can create content until the cows come home, but ultimately people need to see it and interact with it. And there's always going to be good ways of getting getting your content in front of people, but everybody has to get smarter about that. Some really simple examples of that. If you take the Facebook advertising suite, which obviously covers all their platforms, so many times on when I'm going through Instagram stories, I'll see an ad from a brand, and it's often a brand with a lot of budget, and they're not actually making that content custom for the Instagram stories placement, and it just looks awful. And I don't... I sometimes think I'm biased towards that as a marketer because I know that's wrong, but it creates a terrible impression. So it's not just creating content for the sake of creating content and then distributing it for the sake of distributing it. It's just about being smarter. And as the world gets busier and noisier and more platforms come on the scene and more advertising options come on the scene, um, we have to all just be smarter and more refined in what we're doing. And if it works, double down on it. But remember, you're always going to hit a flat line. Everything always hits a flat line, and you have to have the next thing in your locker to, to push that forward. I have kids screaming in the background now. Sorry, but that's it. You might not pick it up. It's, it's a miracle that one of mine hasn't stood behind the door shouting. Yeah. So I've managed to, 13 episodes in, I've managed to get away with it so far. But uh, it yeah. happened on many a Zoom call. Um, yeah. That's it from me, Mike. Thanks for being up for doing the six sessions with me. Um, if anybody wants to follow up with you or find out more about Weems or even buy a bottle of Weems, and I highly recommend people try it, how do you want people to connect with you? Yeah, actually, do you know what? It'd be great if you got in touch with me personally, and then I could probably make you a recommendation on on based on your taste, so your 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 um, your um, stage of of whiskey drinking or indeed gin drinking. But uh, LinkedIn is a fantastic place to connect with me. I'm nice and active there. If you want to see more of a kind of behind the scenes look at my job, it's weems underscore Mike on Instagram. And um, if you go to weemsfamilyspirits.com, that'll give you a portal to all of our, our spirits. I will just say that site is due a big upgrade. But instead of reeling off three different URLs right now, Richard, I think I'll just uh, get people to go to that. But please do connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, we'd love to find out more about what you're up to. And any parting wisdom you want to share on a Friday afternoon? Um, and actually, I'm going to ask for some wisdom on that. Which is your favourite Weems? Okay, so I the Pete Chimney from Weems Malts is a fantastic whiskey. Uh, that's what I've got here. Um, it's smoky and peaty in a light way. Um, anybody that drinks whiskey that has perhaps had a Lefroy or something like that in the past where it just erupts through your face... Uh, the smokiness, which isn't a bad thing depending on your taste, it's not that. It's a really balanced, lovely, lovely drink. 
Um, King's Barnes Dream to Drams, uh, phenomenal, an absolutely phenomenal um, Lowlands whiskey with so much depth for something so young. So that's what yeah. I had at Christmas. It was the Dream to Drum. Oh, was it right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, and yeah. From what you said, it didn't last long either. So that's no, no, it did not. It made it. I think it made it to the end of Boxing Day um, when my brother came around to join us. So that was about as far as it got. Right. Um, so any any other parting wisdom other than whiskey recommendations? Um, I just think that um, everybody needs to just be really mindful about how they market themselves over the next year or so. Um, everybody's confused. There's a lot of emotions running, and just just be just bear that in mind. Uh, I think that's a big thing. I think that's a nice way to finish. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Next week we have Neil Stevens, CMO of Fi uh, Fan Finders. So hopefully see everybody next week. Thanks again, Mike. Cheers, Richard.